is humility a central facet to spiritual life? Might there be more good in the world than we think, and we're actually doing better than we suppose? We explore fascinating nuances in the process of rebirth right now in the NCE Spotlight, your home for fresh insights from the ongoing translation of the New Century edition of Swedenborg's Theological Works. Hey, Jonathan, and oh, Curtis, you're already here. You came early. Yeah, well, I want, last time I was up in the nosebleeds. I want to get a good seat. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> up with the photolithographs up there. Yes, that's right. Up on. <laughs> he wants to get near those first editions. Well, I can't wait, Jonathan, to hear what has stood out for you this week in your editing work of the NCE. It's always fun. I, we never know what we're getting into when we come. It is so fun to um, get a chance to reflect on these things and uh, present them to you and hear how you react. Mm -hmm. What I think of as one of Swedenborg's core messages having to do with the, the change that we go through, how we change and how that affects our life after death and um Mm. It's a change that he calls regeneration or rebirth. And um, I want to start with a passage that, uh, and these again are from Secrets of Heaven, Volume 3, which is uh, forthcoming. It's the gift that keeps on giving. I That's know, right. Secrets of Heaven, Volume 3, man, I can't wait. There were a lot of gems in there. I, I was really amazed. So he's been talking about spiritual struggles or crises that we go through. And then he has kind of a astounding statement of how we feel, almost as if we could use this for self-diagnosis or something. Here's how you feel if you are successful in these spiritual struggles, oh, yeah. what he refers to as winning. This is 2209. The struggles we win bring with them the belief that everyone else is more deserving than we are and that we have more of hell than heaven about us. Oh, oh is that how you, is that how you keep score? Is that, that's what yeah. we're trying to do? A little different than I thought. Oh man, I think it's Richard Rohr maybe who I've heard say, uh, we all could use one good humiliation a day. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of like that. So why is that a indicator that you won something? Is it because it's true <laughs> and you see a little bit <laughs> yeah. of the truth? If you win, that's your that's your prize. He didn't use the word humility, but I sort of hear that word in there, don't you? The idea that yeah. everyone else is more deserving than we are and that we have more of hell than heaven about it. That's shocking to me. Yeah. But very, very interesting. You guys are more deserving than me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just did it. Ah. <laughs> Darn it. Because I feel like I'm more deserving than both of you. So I, I got <laughs> a long a way sign. to go. <laughs> I will say for feeling like everyone else is more deserving than you and there's more of hell than heaven in you. Somebody who believes that, it's really easy to 
make their day. Oh, hmm. yeah. <laughs> oh, like, nice. It's a somebody who is... It's, I'm just thinking about movies. Oh, I was just watching Harry Potter, and there's this little elf that's like, oh, I'm, I'm so nothing, I'm nothing. Oh, yeah. And Harry Potter says, well, go ahead, sit on the bed. And he's like, I can sit. I can sit like an equal with you. So that's an Doesn't extreme. Much. But I just wonder, I know that the more I feel like oh, I'm better than everyone else, the harder it is to make me happy because nothing's good enough. And well, I, I'm better than everyone. So I, I should have this thing that I have in front of me. I, I should get a better one or to match how good I am. But when you feel like, gosh, I'm just lucky to be here. It's really easy to enjoy what you have in front of you. And yeah. I think a little more poignantly, maybe in thinking about the ongoing struggle to be happy for the happiness of others and not feel jealous of it or threatened by it. When you really feel like, oh, I, I've got all this more hell than heaven and all these people are more deserving it kind of disrupts that competitive feeling and allows you to see, oh yeah, I'm glad if they're happy. Like I, when I when I look at professional basketball players, I'm not sort of getting competitive about, well, who can play better? I just know they're out of my league so I can get excited when they win or do something. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to think of the, the different, because it sounds harsh, but when I hear it, I get this surge of, oh, I'd love to have that because I just know some of the ego traps that it helps me get out of whenever I'm close to that state. Hmm. Well, and I, I remember <laughs> what I was going to say, <laughs> which is there you go. that it's one of those counterintuitive things where I've had ideas from Swedenborg do this for me before, which is like when you're going along and just feeling like, oh, I'm just, you know, not doing enough or I'm just not like, maybe I'm just not the best for this or da 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 or whatever. And like just having sort of a hard slogging kind of a day or stretch or time, it's like to turn it around and say, actually, that's a pretty good sign. You're probably doing way better than you think, you know, like just sort of holding it very differently that it's like you're doing your best and that's maybe actually a good sign that you're being you know used in a good way or something it's suddenly reminding me of um things that jesus said of where someone who is feeling proud of themselves he would even say get behind me satan but people who are feeling absolutely downtrodden, he'll say, you're the light of the world. Mm -hmm. And I agree with your point, Curtis, about the threshold. That's beautiful, isn't it? Like the threshold is so low that anything is just a marvel, like an unexpected blessing beyond what you could imagine. I think that what the whole game is, is God is trying to get us into a place in which he can give us everything possible without it going to our heads. Right. That heaven, that hell is, you believe you're so great and so much better than everyone, and they all disagree and say that to you. But heaven is where you're believing, oh, I'm not better than anyone, 
and where God is saying, and angels and everyone around you is saying, you are so great. You are so awesome. You know, like it's, it's that, that's the way the loop, like all I want to say is, oh, all of you are so much better than me. And you want to say, oh, no, no, no. You take this seat here because you're so great. And it doesn't go to either of our heads, but we get the, the joy of doing it for each other. And God, I'm thinking of that. I know the plans I have made for you quote plans to prosper you and then also in the new testament when jesus is saying which you're all evil and you know how to good give give good gifts am i going to give you a stone instead of bread paraphrasing Mm. but he's saying i'm going to give you stuff Mm -hmm. i'm going to give you tons of stuff and that stuff is going to be great surroundings it's going to be talents and skills it's going to be relationships it's going to be joy of all kinds so i'm not asking you to be bereft of of joy and good things. I'm just trying to get you into the point where it won't spoil you. Yes. In this next passage, Swedenborg kind of explains why it's hard for us to self-diagnose about this. In other words, if you think there's more of hell than heaven in yourself, you're actually not right <laughs> mm-hmm. in, in a sense, right? Because that's, that's what happens when you won in some spiritual struggle or let the Lord win for you. This is number 2380. As long as bodily concerns continue to hold our attention, our thoughts and perceptions are so general and vague that we hardly know whether we have charitable goodness or not. So Mm. an important question, do we have charitable goodness? I, I don't know, because those bodily concerns confuse us. He continues, this is also because we don't know what charity is or who our neighbor is. Well, those are minor problems. (laughs) Working with ignorance, yes. But we ought to know who does have that kind of goodness. And then he explains, anyone who has a conscience has charitable goodness. That is, anyone who refuses to deviate one bit from what is just and fair, good and true, and does so for the sake of justice and fairness itself, of Mm. goodness and truth itself. To refuse on these grounds is to refuse from conscience. People with charitable goodness, therefore, also think well of and wish well to their neighbor, even if that individual is their enemy, and they do so without any thought of being repaid. These are the people who do good out of love for others, whether they are outside the church or in. Nice. Those inside the church, revere the Lord and willingly hear and do what he taught. Hearing what you were saying about the justice and people who live that love, it I was just getting such a sense of like, man, there are so many people like that in the world. Like there really are just so many good people in the world. And that that is just, that just makes me happy. And, and people who, by this passage, you feel like may not know how well off they are spiritually. Yes. Yes. Well, all it takes is, uh, I, I wouldn't do that. That's not right. And even though this person and I aren't good, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to them because, you, you know, you shouldn't do that. Yes. And all the people who do put in their... Uh, day-to-day lives, just sort of like, oh, yeah, we might not agree on things, but I'm going to treat you well. I'm going to be, you know, nice to you, lend a hand, give you what you need. Like, that's those kinds of 
kindnesses, that charitable mm. good is just like fizzing in the world all the time. And to me, it does speak, I included in this list because it's a, a transformation. I don't think we start out there necessarily. I think our natural position is that our enemy is our enemy. Right. To get to the point where you're not only treating your enemies decently, but thinking well of them and wishing them well in your own heart when nobody's looking, you know, mm -hmm. and expecting nothing in return. You just have that positive attitude. Well, that's a transformation that comes from heaven. That, And it shows you how powerful that goodness is, that goodness could take you all the way to that point. Like, I love that line because it really surprises me when it says, even if that individual is their enemy, it's like, whoa, wow. I didn't realize that's what we were talking about here. Mm-hmm. I love what you're saying, Chelsea, about there are tons of those people in the world. And just thinking about every town, city that you could go and visit. Yeah, every every street, every house could be, how many people that are like that are in that house? That mm -hmm. the world is full of them. And even though, yeah, you might be downtrodden in this world, you might not realize the spiritual potency of that. It's real. And that's, that's where heaven comes from. Mm, that's so great. This next passage is about whether this process happens slowly or quickly. There were lots of people who felt at that time that there was such a thing as instantaneous salvation, that at the hour of death you could embrace Jesus and, you know, be saved and that kind of thing. Yeah. And Swedenborg is often at pains to say that, oh, no, it's a gradual, lifelong kind of process. Well, I found a passage here in this editing that kind of both says the gradually but also has kind of a quicker sounding thing in it. So anyway, see what you think hmm. of this. This is 2625. Some idea of this process, meaning this process of rebirth, can be formed from the experiences of people who are being reborn. The Lord implants the heavenly qualities of love and the spiritual qualities of faith in them, not all at once, but gradually. When these qualities turn our rational mind into something that is open to receiving them, we are first reborn, largely through inner struggles in which we win. When this happens, the moment is ripe for us to shed our old self and put on a new one. Mm. If you hadn't read that last quote, I would have interpreted this one very differently because it's talking about the struggles in which we win. So I was would have normally pictured struggles where you end up, the bad guys are on some kind of giant mountaintop with you and you battle and they get thrown off and there's a blaze of glory in your mm -hmm. mind. But no, with the ones we win is when we end up thinking, wow, I, I'm a mess. <laughs> <laughs> So that's important to know that there we go. That's that's what that can lead you to. And that talk about the moment being ripe to shed your old self, it's as if there's a gradual process that leads you to a point of readiness. Yes. It's almost like that, that quote that we've talked about before where Swedenborg says, I think it was on August 7th, 1747, something like that, a change of state in me into the heavenly kingdom in an image. Well, yes. it almost sounds like you go gradually through all these stages, but then the moment is ripe as if 
you take off your old self and put on a new one. I don't know. I find that very intriguing. Yeah, and it makes me think of, uh, you know, first I was sort of getting a sense of a flower blossoming, but then, but then of course, like the image of a chrysalis came to mind of like watching those things get ready and all the transformation that you know is going on inside until it's ready to hatch out and shed the case or whatever and then just have its wings you know and become become a butterfly but that's like sort of what it is where we're growing gradually gradually but then there is a moment when it's like something can really be shed here which I guess also for my life I feel like I kind of wonder about that in terms of healing because I think there's my sense in my life is that healing is this like incredibly gradual process that you just feel like, well, maybe this is just going to go on forever. But then I feel like there can be moments where actually that's led up to this ripeness or this fullness where like, boom, something changes, you know, like you're a new person. So that's just interesting to think about that dynamic between slow growth, slow progress, but then a, a threshold, a real turning point that we reach. It makes me think of those New Testament parables. I think there's several of them where people are kind of waiting all night for the Lord or the person who plays the part of the Lord in the parable to, to, to show up. Mm-hmm. But then he suddenly comes. Yeah, right. Or that scripture in the Old Testament about he suddenly comes to his temple. And uh, so there's this waiting and waiting, but then boom, the actual shift can happen pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. And then there's more... There's an eternal process that Swedenborg describes, so it's not a one and done even at that point. But I like that idea of just shedding, you know, shedding that old self and putting on a new one is a powerful mm. idea. That is. In evolutionary biology, there's a term, punctuated equilibrium, mm. which mm. is the theory that for a long time, species just stay as they are. And the actual evolution happens in these little rapid bursts when there's some major change huh. in the environment. And that that's where, even though there's this great amount of change over time, most of it happens in these little spurts when the conditions are right. It's a nice thought for our world because, in my humble opinion, even though there are a lot of good people, as you guys have been saying, uh, mm -hmm. the condition or the, some of the structures or the social interactions in our world leave something to be desired. And the thought yeah. that maybe, like the idea of a tipping point, you know, maybe yes. that could change quite rapidly because those events that you're talking about in some cases involve many, many species or even the whole birth of a new categories of animals and creatures and things like that, that it's not just sort of one little, you know, bug figures out how to fly, but like all oh. this happens at once. Mm. That gets me feeling so excited about the possibilities that are out there for us, for the world. You know, like we don't know what's right around the corner and what can we be doing is just continuing on our own path and, you know, having that hope for uh, being a part of a shift in ourselves or in the world. And that's, that's just really inspiring. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. I really appreciate you taking the time to share these Thank you. thoughts with us. Always a pleasure to see you guys. Thanks for coming by. I hope your heart was uplifted and your mind inspired by this week's NCE Spotlight. 
Subscribe to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to tap into this stream of fresh insights and join us on our excursions into the historical context of Swedenborg's life and works. All passages quoted in this episode are sneak peeks from upcoming volumes of the New Century Edition translation of Secrets of Heaven. If you've benefited from the work of the Swedenborg Foundation through Off the Left Eye and the New Century Edition, consider supporting us with a donation. We are a nonprofit and depend on the support of our donors. To give, go to swedenborg.com donate. And thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.